0: Hi, my name is Pastor Paul Goddard, and I would like to welcome you to the Sunday Sermon podcast series from Bethel Assembly of God. In these podcasts, we will be sharing our Sunday morning messages so that you can keep up with all the teachings that are going on here at Bethel. We want to invite you to join us in person on Sundays at 1030 a.m. at 6029 Lapeer Road in Burton, Michigan. Bethel Assembly of God, we are a family, and as family, we grow, and as family, we go. I hope this message blesses and encourage you. Thank you. So if you have your Bibles with you today, um, this is our second week in Psalm 23. I'm going to ask you to turn there. Um, Last week, we just kind of did an introduction about the Good Shepherd and who he is and what he's like and how we respond to him. Um, These next two weeks, this week, we're going to get into what the Good Shepherd wants from us, what he he wants us to do. Um, Next week, we are going to have Teen Challenge with us. Um, They're going to be doing a rally. So uh, next week, our Kingdom Builders offering is going to be going directly to Teen Challenge to help support them. So next week, anything you give in Kingdom Builders will go to Teen Challenge and their support. Um, So next week, I was talking to Laura about this. I'm not entirely sure how I feel about it, but th- that will be the first Sunday that I don't preach since I got here. So I'm like... But I'm good. I'm, really, I'm going to be good because I'm going to enjoy hearing how God is working through Teen Challenge. I can sit with, with you. Specifically, I'm sitting with Earl. Um, so, but we're going to be in Psalm 23 today. And I just, I just want to read this real quick again. overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Now, Psalm 23 paints, paints a picture for us, and the picture it gives us is of a loving, caring, and concerned shepherd, which is true. God is all of those things. The good shepherd sustains our body, our mind, and soul in the present and in the future. He guides us into rest. We see that in verse 2. Guides us into restoration. We see that in verse 3. Um, author David Pollison though, created this tongue-in-cheek, which he, he entitled the Anti-Psalm 23. And it says this. I'm on my own. No one looks out for me or protects me. I experience a continual sense of need. Nothing's quite right. I'm always restless. I'm easily frustrated and often disappointed. It's a jungle, and I feel overwhelmed. It's a desert, and I'm thirsty. My soul feels broken, twisted, and stuck. I can't fix myself. I stumble down some dark paths, and still I insist I want to do what I want, when I want, how I want. But life's confusing. Why don't things ever really work out? I'm haunted by emptiness and futility, Shadows of death. I fear the big hurt and a final loss. Death is waiting for me at the end of every road, but I'd rather not think about that. I spend my life protecting myself because bad things can happen. I find no lasting comfort. I'm alone, facing everything that could hurt me. Are my friends really friends? Other people use me for their own ends. I can't really trust anyone. No one has my back. No one is really for me except me. And I'm so much all about me, sometimes it's sickening. I belong to no one except myself. My cup is never quite full enough. I'm left empty. Disappointment follows me all the days of my life. Will I just be obliterated into nothingness? Will I be alone forever, homeless, free-falling into void? Sartre said, Hell is other people. I have to add, Hell is also myself. It's a living death, and then I die. Obviously, that is an, another painting, the opposite of what we get from Psalm 23. But the problem with, with our lives is so often we resonate with the second thing I read. We feel alone. We feel like. God isn't there. We feel like people aren't there for us. Things really can be a struggle in life. And at different times of your life, I could ask you a question which one sounds like the truth for you right now? Sometimes you're going to say Psalm 23. There will be other times where you feel that anti Psalm 23. It's one of the things that we as Christians and we as the church, we like to not talk about that darker side of life because even though we do walk with god we still deal with our human condition god walks with us every day but we still deal, de- deal with depression he walks with us every day but we still deal with anxiety it's a, it's a fact of our broken world and our broken lives as humans Today, it used to be that we aspired to achieving things. Um, We had goals. We would aspire to materialness. We would aspire to educational goals. Certain types of vacations. Certain types of financial benchmarks. But now, we still get that. But now, most of us will aspire to being busy. Not really accomplishing anything, just being busy. Um, Now, you will read on social media and see a lot on news reports that that means you've arrived. When you've got to work sun up to sundown every single day, that means you've hit the big time. I'm telling you right now, it doesn't. Busyness can take its toll. The hardest job I ever worked in my life was I worked for a company that ran all the textbook stores at Michigan State University. And I, when I started, was what was called a textbook receiving specialist. And what that really meant was I got there in the morning at 6 a.m. and I left at 5 p.m. and I spent my whole day in a basement or a warehouse. Now most of the time, you know, that's okay. But when fall hit, I would go to work and it would be dark. I would get out of work and it would be dark. And I would have spent the entire day in a basement with no sunshine, no light, or anything. I was busy, but I wasn't living. I had no balance. I didn't have anything shining in my life. The same thing could be said when I was selling cars. I had a window in my office But I worked six days a week, what we called bell-to-bell, from the time the dealership was open till the time it closed, I was there. Busyness will take its toll on your life. You walk up to most people today and you say, Hey, how are you doing? What is the normal answer you get? I'm busy or I'm tired. People are being burned out all over the board, and they don't know or don't think they can stop and get rest. It's happening all over, both to people in the church and outside the church. Now, from this article here written written by Lisa Quast, says this, Being addicted to chronic busyness might feel good because of the adrenaline rush you get from the stress of all the activities but it can be harmful to your health. The clinical staff at the Mayo Clinic warns, long-term activation of stress response system and the subsequent overexposure to cortisol and other stress hormones disrupt all your body's processes. That means you don't sleep right, you don't eat right, you don't handle stress right, You don't know how to deal with things as they come at you because you're always at a high level of stress. These stress hormones, she goes on to say, can increase your risk of health problems such as anxiety, depression, headaches, heart disease, sleep problems, and even memory loss and concentration impairment. As a society, we need to stop glorifying being busy. And we need to stop competing against each other for who is the busiest. Chronic business should not be a badge of honor or a status symbol. It is a warning sign that things in your life need to change. Now, we live in a world that glorifies self-sufficiency, that sometimes causes effects to our faith. Because, and I've mentioned this before, specifically in Western civilization and the United States to a T, the idea of dependence on someone else or taking time for rest And physical restoration seems like we're giving up on the American dream. It feels like we're stopping our pursuit. Because our modern society has glorified busyness as the means to success and wealth. In fact, I've read on the news that from several millionaires that they insist that the reason they are successful and everybody who aspires to be like them should do this must work 12, 15, or 18 hours a day. Now, there will be seasons in your life where you have to work extra long hours. It's gonna happen. Um, if you started a new business, or if you're in school and you're working, or you're undergoing some financial stress and you have to pick up an extra job, that, that happens, but it's not a sustainable and healthy long-term way to live. That's where Psalm 23 comes in, where the good shepherd comes in. Psalm 23 makes us, the believer, take an important look at our lives because God is calling each of us to slow down, to, be, to rest, and to be restored in him. Instead of pursuing paths of achievement or paths of wealth, we can allow God to lead us in paths of righteousness. This doesn't mean that we will never grow weary or that our work isn't, good, or family or personal responsibilities are going to wear us down, or that those are unrighteous things. But what does it mean? That God can and does work in and through our everyday lives. But the focus and pace of that life needs to be influenced by the leadership of God, a God who sustains us, who gives us rest, restores our souls, our pursuits need to fall in the appropriate line of priority after our pursuit of God. It only makes sense that the shepherd knows his sheep and what they need. He knows that we need rest. He knows he needs to help provide it for us. But he can only provide it for us when, he, when we allow him to. When we take the time to actually allow the good shepherd to do his job in our lives. The first thing that the good shepherd wants you to do is he wants you to slow down. So David, who who wrote Psalm 23, we all know he wasn't a perfect person, nor was his life one of ease and comfort. I know as, as a kid, you know, when we're playing king and queen, we all think, oh yeah, they got it made. Being in charge of something is not a walk in the park. Being a leader can add additional stress. I mean, especially when somebody walks up to you and says, he's the king because God said so. Now, I don't know, but when God says you're supposed to do something, you might feel a little bit more pressure than, say, if I say you're supposed to do something. David's life was full of hardship. It was full of struggle. His, even his path to being king had tons of problems, tons of tension. I mean, David got banished from Saul's court. He was giving a wife as a trap, but instead, his wife loved him. David was on the run because Saul wanted to kill him. David had to live off the land. One of David's own sons wanted to kill him and become king. David's Reign and life as the king of Israel was not easy. See, David was well acquainted with weariness. He was. But he was also well acquainted with the good shepherd. David knew that his soul was restored by these figurative green pastures he wrote about and still waters that the shepherd would bring to him. Bring him to. truth. David had to learn, just like we have to learn, that even though things are crazy, even though life seems to move a million miles an hour, there's constant changes, constant disruptions. Our plans don't always seem to work out the way we want them to, but we need to know that we can and should slow down to let God minister to us in our lives. And I'm gonna be the first to admit it. I'm really, really bad at slowing down. I like to be moving. That doesn't mean I don't like naps and rest, but I like to move. I like to mark things off my checklist. I feel good when at the end of my day, my checklist is clear and I got nothing left. That's why I use a dry erase board, because I can erase it and get rid of it. I get tunnel vision. I mean, I get severe tunnel vision. When there is something that I am trying to accomplish, I set my eyes on it, and you ask Lara, I go, 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 and go until I do it. That's part of my personality is throw 100% of everything I am into what I do. But I had to learn that I can't do that. Because if everything I do gets 100% of me, then that doesn't leave anything for me to live a healthy life, emotionally, spiritually, or physically. But if I take the time to slow down on purpose and make sure that God has my 100%, not the work that God's got for me to do, but that God my relationship with him, my focus on him has 100%, then there is always enough of me to do what God needs me to do. That there is always enough of me to make sure the things that need to be done, not the things that I want to get done, but the things that need to get done are done. By the time David wrote Psalm 23, his soul had been restored by the shepherd over and over and over again. When we grow weary when the struggles of this world, now some of them are out of our control. There are things that wear us down that we can't do anything about. Some are directly related to our choices, are directly related to our struggles with sin. They come our way. We must turn back to the shepherd and his green pastures and his still waters again and again. When we slow down, God sustains us. The second thing that the good shepherd wants us to do is he wants us to rest. Does anybody take a Sunday nap? No. All right, sidebar. Take a nap. That's it. I take a nap every Sunday, or try to. I try to. Don't laugh at me. I try to take a nap every Sunday. So today what's going to happen is I'm going to go home, and I'm going to lay on the couch, and I'm going to turn on some golf, and I'm going to sleep until 5 o'clock so I can get up and watch the Michigan State Spartans defeat the Duke Blue Devils and get rid of Mike Krzyzewski out of the NCAA basketball tournament for the last time. By the way, the Wolverines knocked off the Tennessee Volunteers yesterday in an upset way, so good for them, too. Just want to be sure. We're on even ground, okay? But I'm going to rest. I'm going to take time to rest today and restore. One of the things I always tell people is, Everybody's like, I want God to fill me. I want God to fill me. I want God to fill me. Well, guess what? You know why God wants to fill you? So you can empty yourself out and be filled again. Which means if you are working, if you are doing kingdom work, if you come and you volunteer, you're going about your life, you're doing the things God has appointed to you, you naturally are going to empty yourself out. It's going to happen. And when you get to empty... I'm not going to ask this question. Don't raise your hand. I know there are people in here who have driven your car till you've run out of gas. Everybody's looking around. Nobody's raising their hand. Never done it. Never, nobody, ever. When you run out of gas, your car stops. You know what else happens? You damage your engine and you damage the transmission. The things that help you move in your car get damaged when you run out of fuel. The same thing happens to us. We go, go, go until we can't go anymore. We get burnt out. We get stressed out. We blow up on our family. We blow up on our kids. We get angry with our spouses. And it's not always their fault. We just don't have it left in our tank to deal with something in front of us at that point. We end up angry at God because of our circumstances. Our feelings start to betray us. I always, we always talk about this with kids, is that your feelings are real, but you cannot depend on them, and they will lie to you. Because your feelings can be influenced on, maybe you didn't eat breakfast, maybe you needed Snickers, Maybe you've worked a really long week and you're just drained and tired. And your feelings will reflect that. So Eugene Peterson wrote, my feelings are important for many things. They are essential. They are valuable. They keep me aware of much that is true and real. But they tell me next to nothing about God or my relation to God. My security has to come from who God is, not from how I feel, when you get tired, when you get worn down, you have to make that decision to slow down, to stop, and to rest. We are really good at recognizing it in other people. In fact, it's usually, if if you've ever worked with young kids, like toddler, or I won't even go with that, six years old and younger, if you've ever worked with kids like that, your go-to response When they're crabby, when they're grumpy, when they don't want to share their toys, is you probably need a nap. Every time you need a nap, it's the same for us. We need to stop and rest. Adults, stop and rest. We don't have to go through life hangry. We don't have to be hungry and angry and exhausted all the time because God is our shepherd. We can rest. We don't have to toil with no end in sight. We don't have to slog through life and its struggles. We have to learn that it's not okay to only slow down, but it's okay to come to a complete stop and let the shepherd take care of us. I mean, Jesus knew this. There are several passages in the Gospels where Jesus is sleeping and taking a nap. Mark chapter 4, 35 through 40, we all know this story. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat and it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? And he got up. And so this is where, this is going to be paraphrased the rest of the way. Uh, He got up, he stretched, because, you know, he was sleeping, on a cushion on some hardwood, so he could stretch a little bit. Woke up a tiny bit, looked outside, sees the storm, and he rebukes the wind and says to the waves, Quiet, be still. And the wind died down, and it's completely calm. And he looks at his disciples and goes, why are you so afraid? Don't you have any faith yet? And then he stretches again, turns around, and I imagine he goes back to sleep. Because Jesus is specifically going to the other side of the lake to rest. Because he knows he needs to. I don't know if that's how it happened, that's just... That's what would happen with me. So here's what's great about that passage of Scripture. Jesus knows that there is work to be done. He does. He's been doing it. He sees that there's more work to be done. He sees the crowd. He knows that there are people who need to be healed. Demons that need to be cast out and lessons that need to be taught. But he still tells his disciples to get in the boat and once there, he goes to sleep. Yes, the needs of the people are urgent. Their cries for healing were compelling. But Jesus knows that he needs to stop and he needs to rest. And if even Jesus needs to stop and rest in the middle of a chaotic world with all of the important things that he had to do, how much more do we need that? How much more do we need to make sure we're taking the time to rest in the Good Shepherd's care? The third thing that the Good Shepherd wants for us is to be restored. Now Charles Spurgeon commented on this passage saying that when the soul grows sorrowful, he revives it. When it is sinful, he sanctifies it. When it is weak, he strengthens it. He does it. His ministers could not do it if he did not. His word would not avail by itself. He restoreth my soul. Are any of us low in grace? Do we feel that our spirituality is at its lowest ebb? He who turns the ebb into the flood can soon restore our soul. Pray to him, then, for the blessing. Restore thou me, thou shepherd of my soul. For many of us, the idea that we have to return to God again and again and again flies directly in the face of our own pride and our own want for self-sufficiency. See, we often think, because our lives on earth color and portray how we see God, we start to think of God as a father who gets tired of hearing from us. Because we all picture that moment in our lives where we were speaking to a parent so much that they looked at us and just said, stop. I I need you to stop asking the same thing over and over and over again. I love my parents, but I'm telling you right now, I know they were flawed. I know they are not perfect. I know they are not a true reflection of who God is as our father who God is as the good shepherd. They are reflections. But we are imperfect reflections. We imagine a God who gets tired of hearing from us, who gets tired of us asking the same questions, praying the same prayers, tired of picking us up, dusting us off, sending us back out, only to know that He's going to have to pick us back up, dust us back off, and send us out again. Tired of forgiving us. Tired of dealing with us. But that isn't God's nature. That isn't who he is as the Father and the Good Shepherd. We can return again and again and again, welcomed by his immeasurable grace for what we need to be sustained, for what we need to walk in the paths of righteousness that he leads us toward. Here's what we have to understand. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. When you come back to God and you have the same prayer request, you have the same shortcoming, the same flaw, all of that, God looks at you and says, but you are new. Yes, but you are new. Go be new. I will walk with you. I will sustain you. I will restore you because I have made you a new creation. The old is gone. It's gone. It may linger, but it is gone. You are no longer chained. You are no longer kept by that. When we slow down, when we rest in Jesus we are restored. The old weariness can drop away. We get a renewed life. One of the things I love to tell people is that you not only received a new life and a renewed life, you have received a renewable life. You have been given by God the opportunity to come before him To give him your needs, to give him your wants, your shortcomings, your victories. And he makes you new time and time again. When God leads us to water, or he makes us lie down in green pastures, we can trust him. Regardless of our feelings. Regardless of the last time you ate regardless of how many hours you've worked this week. You can trust the good shepherd, our Father God, to lead us into rest and to meet our needs. One of the things I find amazing is that when we we take a broader look at Psalm 23 and, and the imagery of the peaceful waters and the green pastures and everything that's going on in that scripture, God's perfect will when he created Adam and Eve was that they dwell with him. Where? In a garden. Now, when I think of gardens, I think of places that are renewed, places that are green with life, that are lush, that provide, that sustain. One of my favorite places to go is to go to the botanical gardens at the campus at Michigan State University. When school is out of session, it is quiet. You can walk through it. There's an amazing variety of plant life. The only coffee beans that grow in Michigan are growing there. They're horrible, don't drink them. But they're growing there. They have found ways to grow plants in that garden that have no business growing in Michigan. There's life. And every fall and every winter, it gets really ugly. Really ugly. But then spring comes. And it's renewed. And the flowers come back. And things bloom. And the leaves come back. And life is renewed there. It's a place of peace and life. And busyness. All at the same time. Because the things have their proper order there. God does not desire for us to run ourselves ragged or to bear the weight of this world. He sent Jesus to set us free. Not to give us a greater burden, not to make life harder, but to relieve the burden of our life, not just of the sin, but even the burden of religion and the law. God desired for us to be able to slow down with him again, to rest in him and to be restored in him, just like he originally intended. I want to close with this, about what this looks like practically in our lives. So I think that's important. It's really great to say these things, but we need to know how to put it into practice. We need to follow the example of Jesus and set boundaries on our time in order to live lives full of what we were meant to be and meant to do, not what we just think we're supposed to be doing. We need to make room to stay connected with God. That's the first thing. Make room to stay connected to God. One of the most beautiful reminders I have of the the importance of spending intentional time with God is in Matthew 14. John the Baptist has just been beheaded, and Jesus wants to be alone. He retires to a private place to grieve. But the crowds hear that he is there and they follow him. He has compassion on them and he heals the sick among them. But then he performs the miracle of feeding the 5,000. And scripture tells us this immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray, alone. Jesus effectively told them, no, it's a nice night, I'll walk, you go. And he takes the time to stop, slow down, rest, and spend time directly with the Father. Once again, we see him, he leaves a crowd, there's still work to be done to take care of something he knows He needs. He knows he needs to reconnect to the Father, to pour out his heart, to rest in the comfort of his arms as he grieves the loss of a friend. He doesn't rush around to fix everything for everyone else. He could have, because he's God after all, but he is also a human at this point who needs to spend time alone with God. We have to add into our lives an importance and a value of the well-being of our souls. We have to take time to stay connected to God. The second thing, you need to make room to stay connected to others. Now, we have to be intentional about connecting with other people. It includes your spouse, your children, and your friends. You will tell you will get people all the time will say, "Well, you know what? I come home every night and my wife's there, or my husband's there. So we're connected." Sorry, no, uh, the, the statistics in the United States for divorce would say otherwise. You come home from work or from whatever you're doing, you have to be intentional about connecting with your spouse. You have to be. That means a conversation. That means a hug. That means a kiss. Sharing what's going on. That means we ask our kids Real questions about what's going on. Not just the, how was your day? It was good. That's nice. Find out what's going on with them. What's happening. Throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus spends time with those he loved. He spent weeks on end traveling with the disciples. They were, I mean, they worked together. They did ministry together. They performed miracles together. But Jesus also, during that time, went to a wedding. He visited his mom. And his family. He hung out with his friend Lazarus and their families, their sisters. Jesus was a man not only who understood the importance of spending time with those he loved, he modeled it through his time here on earth. The third thing, and this is big because this one makes us feel guilty or we do it too much. Make room to take care of yourself. I'm going to tell you this right now. If you do not take care of you, it's going to be really hard for other people to help take care of you as well. You're going to make it harder for other people. This means you have to add space, time, and spend energy in taking care of yourself. Just as you would make an appointment to go to the doctor, make appointments during the week to exercise. I'm sorry I led with that one. Make an appointment to read a book that you have been putting off reading. I've got seven of them right now. Make time to take a walk. If you like to golf, make time to go golf. Call me, I'll go with you. Or just lie in your bed and stare at the ceiling for a minute. Collect yourself. You have permission from God to take care of yourself because the world needs you. The world needs what only you can bring to it. God didn't create us all to do the same thing. Your friends, your family, your spouse, your kids, your colleagues, your co-workers, they need you to be who you were created to be. And you were not created to be overstressed and busy. Overly busy. Psalm 23. We're going we're to pick it back up in two weeks, but... Through Psalm 23 and and modeling through the life of Jesus, we see that we can rely on God to provide rest for us. We can rely on him to provide restoration. That he cares enough to allow us to slow down in our lives. That he wants to sustain us spiritually, physically, emotionally, time and time again. No matter what's going on no matter what the circumstances are no matter how out of control the world feels the good shepherd is always there waiting for us to slow down to rest so he can restore us and restore our souls thank you for joining us here today on the bethel sermon series podcast We want to invite you to join us in person at 6029 Lapeer Road on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. You can also find out more information on our Facebook page or go to our website at www.bethelfamily.live. That's www.bethelfamily.live for more information. God bless. Have a great week. Subscribe and join us back for next week. Thank you.